0: Hello out there. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur. We are broadcasting here on WLCB 101.5 FM from the greater Chicago, Milwaukee area. I'm your host, Doris Nagel. I'm a crazy entrepreneur myself, and I love helping other entrepreneurs. I've counseled lots of startups and small businesses as part of my law and consulting practice over the past 30 years. But I've also started or helped start at least nine different businesses. Along the way, I've seen lots of mistakes. I've made lots of mistakes. So we have two goals here on the show, and that is to share helpful information and resources, but also to inspire entrepreneurs and hopefully make your journey as an entrepreneur a little faster, a little easier, and maybe a little bit more fun. As always, I welcome your comments, your questions, suggestions. If you have a topic you'd like to hear about, you have an issue or a challenge, you want to be a guest, or you just want to shoot the breeze, email me at denagel, N-A-G-E-L, at lakesradio.org. The show will be better for your input. And so without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest for today. Yes, we have not only one guest, but two this week. They are both entrepreneurs running successful small businesses. And in addition, they are of a book they've called Food for Thought, which is a compilation of their best advice. So just a couple of words about our two guests. First is Ron Wager. He was born and raised in Chicago. And after obtaining a bachelor's degree in industrial engineering from Northwestern University, he held several industrial management positions companies in what he calls, quote, corporate America, unquote, but some 40 years ago, he had the itch that comes from wanting to run and own your own business, and so he established his company, which is called Business Engineering. Now, Business Engineering helps companies improve their operations through process improvements and generate sustainable savings that also improve profits. So both top and bottom line growth is their focus. His clients include mid-market, privately-held businesses, as well as Fortune 100 companies. He lives in Prospect Heights and he spends time with his friends and family, taking advantage of all the things that Chicago has to offer. But he also finds time to work with his son, restoring antique and classic cars. Very cool, Ron. I did not know that. Now, uh, his co-author and partner in crime is Mark Akerley. And Mark is the managing partner of his company, which is called Sigma Resource Group. He serves as the strategic advisor and coach to business owners and executives and leadership teams. His focus is on applying discipline and helping these companies with their strategy, their planning, their results management and leadership so that they, they really optimize their business. He says his real passion is working closely with small to mid-sized companies and their owners to establish and achieve realistic yet stretch goals using a working together approach. Mark moved to Chicago some 40 years ago after working for a company which he calls on, quote, State Street, unquote. (laughs) I have to laugh at the two of you with your use of corporate America and State Street, which I find very amusing. But he knew from the start that Chicago, he says, was his kind of town. And uh, the transition from East Coaster to Midwesterner was easy, he says. Since that time, he's also moved to LaGrange with his wife, Mary. He says, when not working on his business, he likes to spend time with his family or having fun with his hobby of flying sailplanes. Very cool. Now, together, the two of them are co-authors of the book that we're going to talk about today called Food for Thought, Lessons at Lunchtime for Business Owners. So with that introduction, Mark and Ron, thanks so much. For being on the show today. Welcome to The Savvy Entrepreneur.
1: Thank you, Doris.
2: Great to be here. Glad to be yours, for sure.
0: So it's interesting. The two of you obviously share a lot of the same outlook on things. I guess you have to almost in order to successfully co author a book. How did the two of you meet? Rob, why don't you start?
2: Yeah okay uh, we actually met at, and I can't remember which one but uh, a professional society meeting that uh, relates to management consulting there were two or three of them at the time and this goes back maybe twenty five ish kind of years but we were at the meeting and uh, got chatting and talking and came to the next meeting and we happened to meet each other again and we said wouldn't it be great if we had lunch or a cup of coffee and that started the friendship and the relationship
1: As I was gonna say we had a lot in common business wise but we also wanted to do more for consulting organizations. We were working, as I recall, Ron might've been the chairman or the president of the group at the time, I don't recall, uh, but he was looking for more ways to make that organization even better. And I think he asked me if I could help him a little bit. And I said, yeah, I think I can. And so we worked to help make that association a little bit better, as well as work together on our businesses also.
2: Yeah, I forgot about that. You're absolutely right. And. Uh Uh, We both were involved in everything from programs, which is a thankless job for most organizations, finding speakers and events to to plan around, as well as uh, can we grow bigger, faster and better. So, uh, yeah, that's how it all
1: started.
0: And when did the two of you decide to write a book, Mark?
1: Oh, that was a, a few years ago. We were talking about, uh, matter of fact, I wanted to show Ron some promotional material from a client that I was working on. And uh, it was a rather unique promotional material, but it really outlined very nicely some of the things that they were doing. And I think Ron said, well, gee, that'd be kind of cool if we did something similar to that. And I said, yeah, I guess it would be. I'm not sure what that would look like. And we, we talked a lot around and around and over a period of a couple lunches I think one day we just finally said, let's write a book. <laughs> I think this is pretty simply how it came outdoors. So we did. But after we said, let's write a book, it probably took us another year. Several years. Uh, wow. yeah, before we actually decided <laughs> to the book, outline and, and proceed with it. So we took an idea, yeah. let's write a book, kicked it around. And then a year or two later, we finally said, let's get serious and do this. And as soon as we did that, I think we probably knocked yeah. out it out in 12 months or less once we got serious about it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The thing we did, and this is maybe a, a lesson to uh, writers along the way, is we kind of brainstormed. And Mark is an excellent facilitator, and I was his audience, and we kicked ideas up and back and used flip charts and whiteboards to come up with uh, all the thoughts we had over our lunchtime meetings, which uh, started 25 years before and just went through and uh, winnowed those down to 16 major ideas which became the 16 chapters in our book and uh that was very valuable because we didn't immediately start writing we didn't ready fire or aim we basically got a set of objectives put a outline together and let that drive the book and i thought that was an excellent way to do it
1: it probably
0: started with a 100- Hundred. wow
1: yeah, I think we'd probably start with around ideas and boil it yeah. down to 16. And uh, then we were we were cooking with gas, as you say, after that.
0: I'm curious, though, why you decided to write a book. Why, out of all the other ideas, why do you think the book resonated with the two of you, Ron?
2: Well, it basically, as the subtitle says, Lessons at Lunchtime. And it's uh, based on conversations we had over our lunches, which uh, usually entailed, what are we doing right but what could we do better? And what did we see that other consulting firm do that was better and we'd aspired to do that? Or what did they do? And my gosh, they got themselves in all kinds of trouble because they made some mistakes. And we talked about that a lot. Of how do you market? How do you treat your clients? How do you manage your own people? How do you manage engagements? Uh, how do you get new business? Those kinds of things. And we thought that's something we'd like to share with the rest of the consulting community, if not the general professional services community.
1: Yeah. And to to piggyback on that, I think we also said that, you know, we'd like to give back to the profession. We've both been consultants for many, many years, and it's something we both really enjoy doing profession. I have a lot of respect for, and uh, we said, well, maybe there's something we can do for the profession. And hopefully uh, others might pick that up and say, yeah, there there's some things we can do by just talking with each other and maybe taking some of those ideas and put them in writing. So others can benefit from those things, those ideas as well.
0: Did you meet your objectives in writing the book?
1: Yeah, I, I think we really did. Other than it taking too long, I think, I think we did pretty well as far as meeting my expectations. We wanted them to be helpful to people who might be starting a, a small company, small business, and we wanted to make sure they were meaningful suggestions, but also they were something people could grab onto right away. We wanted to make this, sh- I guess, short and sweet might be the, the way to put it. Ron and I, over the years, always felt that whenever we did meet, which was every four to six weeks, I think, right, right that we always walked away with a nugget. We, we used the word nugget. In other words, I learned something from Ron, or he helped me with something uh, over that luncheon, and the same thing with him. So based upon people get ahead by coming up with nuggets, I think this book fell right into that.
2: And, yeah, I guess we could, you could call it Chuck Full of Nuggets. And uh, <laughs> yeah. um, Mark used the term airline book. He travels out of town more than I do. I travel locally here. But uh, he's on an airplane quite a bit back in the day. And uh, he said it would be a, his goal was, and I adapted that goal, to a book that could be read in an airline flight. You started it and take off, and by the time you land, you're
0: done. You know, it's interesting you say that, though, because the book is fairly thin. It's only 64 pages, but I would caution anybody who thinks that it's 64 pages you can just flip through and, you know, kind of scan is probably in for a little bit of a surprise because I found the book to be Quite intense. I think if you really look at each recommendation and think about how it applies to your business, you might not finish it in one setting, Actually, I think. I don't know, Mark. What's your reaction to that?
1: Well, I've always recommended you read it more than once, because if you take any of the success tips in there, and for every cha- every one of the 16 chapters, there's two or three or four success tips, and those are pretty straightforward. Uh, but those take a little bit of time to digest and say, how can I make this success tip work for me? So to your point, Doris, that's correct. You're going to have to spend a little more time and studying that and thinking about how you can apply that to your business. I always like to use the term simple but not easy. I don't think anything that we put <laughs> in here is necessarily that easy. The ideas are simple, right. but you have to really roll up your sleeves and get into it to make some of these success tips work. But I think that's the nature of any kind of business. If you want to make something work, you've got to put some effort into it.
2: Yeah, I, have, I had readers come up to me, people I knew through networking, and i would offered them a free book. And they said, oh, I've already got my copy. I bought it online. And uh, here, let me show you. They showed me underlinings, highlighting, and so forth, where they went through the book a second, maybe a third or fourth time, who knows, to uh, highlight the areas they wanted to work on. And they felt they needed help yet. And I think that was part of the proof that uh, what Mark just said, it really resonated with a lot of people. And though it be small, uh, it'd be very mighty. And I've had one individual, the highlighting guy that I met, actually posted a recommendation for me on LinkedIn. Very complimentary, and we won't go through the whole thing, but he basically had a sentence in there that really struck me. And he said, after reading Ron's book, it changed my entrepreneurial life. And my goodness, you know, wouldn't want a a recommendation like that. And till this day, he's still an entrepreneur. He's uh, well past retirement age, but he's contributing to charitable businesses uh, and in a charity fashion to businesses and youth getting involved in small business and so forth. But he still has his book by his side.
0: You know, I think that's one of the appeals for a lot of us of writing a book, right, is that you have the ability potentially to impact a lot of people over time. It's one of those gifts that you give that keeps on giving. You know that you impact your clients with a a specific engagement, but I think a book offers a way to spread out the message in ways that maybe you don't even realize, right? The other thing is is that I'm struck by the fact that you make writing the book sound quite easy. And I know only because I've tried with a colleague to write a book, (laughs) it's not as easy as it sounds. There's a lot that goes into it. Ron, why don't you start? Talk a little bit about some of the challenges that maybe you had to overcome, things you didn't expect when you started writing this book.
2: Well, uh, my first inclination was to start writing something. And I'm an organized guy. I love to plan, but Mark is the king of planning and organizing. And I think getting that organization and getting those chapters uh, down, getting them in order and getting them with uh, catchy titles and subjects that all were relevant made a lot of sense. And that's really stood the test of time because about two years ago, uh, we said, maybe we should revise the book and add a couple more chapters. And we caught up a couple other subjects and we rejected them and we said, you know what? This thing really stands the test of time and there's nothing we can do to make it better now we can write another book on another subject with another twist to it but this book stands alone so i think uh,
1: getting organized was the uh the big thing and getting by that was important for me and both ron and i are both we're, we're time commitment people so if someone says we have to have something done by a certain time. That's why it took us a couple of years to get it going because we weren't willing to actually put it in our calendar and say, this is when we're going to have a chapter done. But as soon as we did that Mm -hmm. and actually put that in writing and said, by this date, when we follow up, Ron, you'll have this chapter done. Mark, you'll have this chapter done. We met all of those goals because we're both very focused on uh, meeting our commitments. And that really helped a lot.
0: Well, I'm curious too about the process of producing the book. So what I learned in the process that I went through with my colleague is that it wasn't just about writing a book that you both agreed on and and meeting the objectives you both agreed on. But there's a lot to actually producing a book, copy editing to how it's going to get published and what kind of promotion you're going to do and all that Mark, talk a little bit about how you went through some of those issues.
1: Uh, well, as I read the book, I, I did go over a few chapters before our interview today, Doris, <laughs> just to make sure I remembered everything in the book. Uh, and I will say we probably could have done a little bit better of copy editing because what I've learned by doing lots of writing is copy editing comes in a couple of phases. You get, you get a rough copy edit back, you make a few changes, then you get another one and so forth. And I think we only went through one round. So I uh, one or two, maybe, Ron, i Yeah, sure. probably two. Probably no two, more. yeah. No more than that. So I, I think if anyone wants to write a book, if you can find a, a, a good copy editor or editors, they add a lot of value to that. Just a different way to say something, uh, change the order of some sentences, that, that's a tremendous help. Uh, we should have done a little bit more than that. However, what did work for us uh, quite well was giving each other a draft and saying, okay, here's what I've come up with. How does that look to you, Ron? And he would say, yeah, that looks pretty good, or I don't know what you meant on that paragraph. Take a look at it and say, oh, okay, I'll rewrite that paragraph. And so that helped quite a bit. Yeah, it got to the point that we we're so deeply
2: enmeshed in doing that and trading the chapters up and back and critiquing, and we both can take each other's critique, which is, uh, you know, not true of a lot of writing teams, but I think we got through that very successfully. But when we all said and done, and the book was out for I don't know, maybe a year. We went back and tried to remember who wrote what chapter. There's 16 chapters. I wrote eight. Mark wrote eight. Not necessarily in sequence. We skipped all over based on you know, what we thought we'd like to do. And we couldn't remember who wrote what chapter after we read <laughs> each one. So that's a testimony to Wow,
0: that's that's
2: a uh, true a, a true venture.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, what about the Ron, What about the publishing end of things? Did you self-publish this? How did you approach that?
1: You want to take that, Mark? yeah? Okay. We just decided to go with Amazon and uh, Kindle, Kindle publishing. So I just did a real quick, I won't say deep dive, but uh, I learned a little bit more about Kindle publishing, found out what that was all about, and just started producing some copy which I thought would be applicable for Kindle publishing, and uh, and it was. So there's some very good guidelines to do that, pretty self-explanatory. It's nothing fancy, and we weren't looking for anything fancy. So that helped a lot, knowing what their simple guidelines were to put the whole thing together and get it published. And it really, anyone that's thinking about publishing for the first time, I, I would really suggest going that route. It, it they, they do make it pretty simple for you.
0: You know, I'm, I'm still struck by the fact that you so smoothly co-authored this book. You know, I, I think there are lots of entrepreneurs out there who want to write a book, and lots of us talk with business colleagues about things regularly. Uh, maybe we're, you know, we're really on the same page professionally, but we never, we never get around to even talking about writing a book. And then there's others that, you know, you talk with a colleague about writing a book, but. I got to say, you know, it's really rewarding, I think, to be able to exchange ideas with a colleague, but it's also really difficult. I mean, you guys make it sound so easy, but I think it's really difficult to find two people who have the same vision about what a book should look like, who the intended reader should be, what the objectives should be, what the timeline should be, and the time commitment. It's, it's not easy. What you attribute to your particular friendship that enables this to happen really fairly seamlessly, it sounds like, right?
2: There's two levels of friends. I, I started uh, business engineering with a friend or attempted to, and uh, I was in corporate America, as you quoted at the time. He was in corporate America, and he wanted to do something entirely different. His vision of business engineering was entirely different than mine. And we wrestled over that quite a bit. And I left corporate America to start it and he chose to stay there and finish his career some 20 years later and retire from there. But we remained friends. We did things with our families and our wives and us went out to dinner frequently, talked about business, but we never could work together because our personalities didn't mesh or match. Uh, with Mark, it was, uh, we got to know each other quite a bit over 25 years of lunches. So uh, you kind of figure out who the other guy is and what he believes in and how much you disagree and how much you agree. And we're 80-20 probably in total agreement on a lot of things. And 20% of that is constructive disagreement. 80% is totally right on agreement. So I think we just got lucky and we got to know each other well enough. And we didn't sit down in year one or lunch one and say, let's write a book. That took 20 to 25 years of getting to know each other. But we saw we were on, and I, I promised I wouldn't say it, but well, truly on the same page. Uh, no pun intended, but it really is, it is intended. But we're on the same page. At that point, we said, hey, writing a book would be fun. We would disagree enough to make it constructive, but we agree on enough things that we could move along the process.
1: If I could add to that, Doris, also, I would say that the book is a result of a great relationship that Ron and I built it's not the other way around and as most professionals go over a career you have several relationships that you've built up over your career that are, that are pretty meaningful to you and you know that if they are meaningful the reason they are meaningful is because you've been willing to put something into it as well as take something out of it mom and i have always had that relationship that uh, if, if we want to make this work if we want to make sure we're helping each other we have to give as much as you receive. So when you have relationships like that, writing a book becomes a heck of a lot easier because you know where the other guy's coming from. You know that that, that person's going to meet their commitments to you. You know that they're going to give you honest, constructive feedback. Uh, and it just, it just makes things go so much simpler. Uh, and I can think of probably, uh, only really a half a dozen or so strong relationships like that that i have with people people where if i need to make a phone call i'm with a client and i'm confused or i have a tough situation uh and i need a few minutes i get to a phone and and call ron or call someone else and say hey i've got this crazy problem what do you think i know he'll get back to me right away and give me some really good information so that's kind of just a uh, probably ramble there a little bit too much for your doors but uh, i i think that makes the relationship work no, I-
0: I think that speaks volume about the relationship that you have, but I think it does underscore that it is difficult, just like it is difficult to find the right business partner, Ron, as you alluded to. Right. It's it's often not easy to find a co-author of a book that actually gets written and published, so... I want to continue and ask you some more uh, about the, the subject matter of the book and some of the recommendations in it. But for now, I want to ask both of you for just a second to hold your thoughts. We need to take a quick break for station identification and a word from our sponsors. But folks, hang in there. We'll be right back with our guests, Ron Lager and Mark Akerley, co-authors of the book Food for Thought. This is Doris Nagel, and you're listening to The Savvy Entrepreneur. Folks, this week we're talking to Ron Wager, president of business engineering, and Mark Akerley, president of the Sigma Resource Group, both entrepreneurs, longtime entrepreneurs, but also co authors of a book called Food for Thought Lessons at Lunchtime for Business Owners. And before the break, we were talking about your relationship and how you came to write the book. I think this is a good time to maybe pivot and talk about the book itself which, uh, as we alluded to, is not very long, but is chock full of phenomenal, phenomenal business advice. It's like the best of the best. There's a lot of different approaches you could take in writing a book of business advice. How did you settle on this kind of very pithy, crystallized recommendations and and easy-to-follow advice that is the format you chose? Mark, why don't you start?
1: I like to read a lot. I read all kinds of publications. I read uh, uh I actually read textbooks. <laughs> I, I read a lot. So, I know the type of reading I like to learn from, and although I will read something from cover to cover, I really like publications that are shorter and to the point. Once they get the subject out there right away, uh, I certainly like an example or two, but I don't need ten examples. Uh, one, is, one or two examples is usually quite sufficient for me. And I want to make sure the point is crystal clear uh, and it's something someone can, can grab onto. I don't like reading something that's written uh, by a professor who is convincing you that they know how to write. <laughs> I just want the facts. And so I think Ron's kind of in the same ballpark with that. So we said, let's make it short and sweet, to the point. Let's get these nuggets out there, things that people can grab onto and understand them quickly. That's pretty much how we came up with that style, I believe. Yeah, and I think we built each chapter around a story. So it's the the parables,
2: the sixteen parables of uh, small business or entrepreneurship, and the stories are real. The names of the businesses and the names of the individuals have been changed to protect the guilty or the innocent, depending <laughs> on the chapter. And uh, (laughs) we like telling stories and giving examples. It's a family thing with me. Every time we get together with the family, somebody remembers an old story, funny or not funny, but they can bring up a story that illustrates what they were trying to talk about. And I think I carried that in. Mark is a good storyteller as well. So we picked our favorite story and used that as the example and then talked about what was done correctly and what was done incorrectly in the story. And here's what you can do in terms of success tips That's your homework assignment to improve on that story or take the lesson from that story. So we had a lot of fun with that, just disguising the businesses and disguising the names. Maybe it was a (laughs) compound, of four or five stories that we put into one as an example story. But I I kick out that even, I just enjoy rereading it even to this day.
0: Well, I'm curious about the process you used to come up with these very pithy little Recommendations and points in 64 pages. I think you alluded to before the break that you started with maybe 100. What was the process that you used to winnow through a lot of that? I mean, I think that's a typical problem in writing a book of any kind or even making an effective presentation is the temptation is to just throw everything you know out there. Mark, why don't you start? Talk about how you distill down all those life lessons, those hundred plus points to come up with what you decided to finally put in the book.
1: Well, I think we started by saying what's important to us. What have we learned over our careers that are important to us in helping clients? Uh, What are the practices, the processes, the guidance that we've given the clients that we know has worked, some of it original, a lot of it not. You know, consultants are great at taking someone else's idea and repackaging it and showing someone else how to use it. I've done some of that in my career. But the idea is what really, really works. And if you take really big concepts, for instance, I'm big into planning. You can talk uh, about scenario planning and strategic planning and, and all types of high-level processes, but there's, a, there's a, some really fundamentals to make that work. So, Ron, I really use the word fundamentals, I think, quite frequently saying, how do we take this idea and what are the fundamentals of that to break it down so someone can grab onto that and make that useful for them? And I think the thing we found as we kind of brainstormed up and
2: back is that out of the hundred, let's say, of uh, ideas that we could build chapters around, every two or three of them were redundant. that's really a form of marketing. That's really a form. Oh, that's a form of marketing too. Well, why don't we incorporate those two together? So we started to incorporate and connect. And then we had a couple that, you know, that doesn't really fit the list at all. So we struck those from the list. So by adding the redundant ones together and striking the ones that uh, didn't make sense, we got down to 25 or 30 or something. And then we cut those in half and got down to our 16. But it was funny because of that 100 or maybe the second cut of the next 50, a lot of them were saying the same 16 things. <laughs> and we, we ginned that down. Once we knew the 16 chapters and we divided it up and started writing, uh, and then we critique each other's writing to be sure. It was uh, straightforward enough and short enough, but yet concise, but yet informative. That was the easy part. But getting the big list down to the little list was uh, – uh, where the action took place, but a lot of things we we found we were doing is describing the same chapter title three or four or five different ways. So consolidating really took mm-hmm. place, our first or second pass.
0: Well, you know, because the book is so chock full of distilled down recommendations, there's a lot of things we could talk about. I'm curious though, for each of you, what's your favorite piece of advice and and why? Ron, why did not you start?
2: Okay, that was a mistake because I can go on forever on my favorite. So uh, the follow-up chapter is really my favorite. And uh, this is the advice myself. It's not just advice to small entrepreneurial businesses because, as you said in the introduction, we work with some pretty big clients. But follow-up still is the lifeblood, our marketing approach. And staying in touch with networking partners, staying in touch with prospects who have not uh, bought our service and certainly staying in touch with previous clients on a regular basis. I really have a schedule that I use. Some get a three month follow-up, some get a four month follow-up, some get a six month follow-up. But being in touch and saying, hi, how are you doing? You don't ask for business. We don't ask for business, but we see, want to know how they're doing personally, how business is going for them. Have they introduced that new product we talked about three or four months ago in the last follow-up? And uh, get down to, did your son really make the softball team? Or, you know, you said the new baby was coming. Are you a grandparent now? How's the new baby doing? And really build a relationship that way with networking partners, but also with prospects. And uh, those prospects might become clients some days. And certainly with clients who we've done business with, building that relationship, the follow-up really is, is very strong for us. So that's uh, that resonated the most with me. You know,
0: I'd love for you to talk just for a minute and elaborate on that about a couple things. And one is—is is I'm sure you have a story or two of how following up and staying in touch has paid off for you, either professionally or personally.
2: Yeah, and I, if you knew me better, you'd know I love to tell stories. So you don't give me the opportunity because I've always got a story to go to illustrate some point.
0: Yeah, that. the stories are what people love to hear, Ron.
2: And this is a one that happened just recently. And I've used it myself. I've read my own book and I've applied that to clients that are larger uh, manufacturing and distribution folks that wouldn't probably read our book. We're really written for professional services kinds of operations. But, uh, this is a manufacturing distribution client. And, uh, you know, in this day and age, what we're going through, uh, health wise and the economy and so forth, people need human contact more than ever. And, uh, follow-up is is a way to do it. So I usually check in with people, see how business is doing, how their workforces are, how the health is of their business, as well as their people. Four months ago, I called a a vice president at a distribution company and asked those very questions. And uh, he gave me some answers and he said they were an essential industry, they were still doing business, things were going well, their workforce was pretty much intact, although they had some with health problems. We had a nice conversation, and I said, I asked permission, which I talk about in the book. We talk about that in the follow up chapter. May I stay in touch? May I follow up another four months down the road? And he said, Certainly, said, this is fine. And he said, You know what? He said, I can't tell you what this call meant to me. And that's a quote. I have no idea what that meant. All I know is he was having possibly a bad day. My call maybe was a ray of sunshine. But someone who cared and someone who was concerned and someone who was not trying to sell him something really impressed him. This month, which is four months later, I did my follow-up call and said, hi, how you doing? Everything better? And he, I was greeted with, hi, buddy. Glad you called. And so now we're buddies. And, uh, <laughs> and to uh, quote the book, I think it's uh, chapter one, what do you do? He said, by the way, remind me what you guys do. And I said, well, we're industrial engineers. We'll help you get more productive uh, in the distribution arena. We can help you become more efficient, reduce your costs. And he said, you know what? We want you to look at our warehouse. We've got a big warehouse. He said, we just built a new warehouse in Minneapolis, but we've got one in the Chicago area. Would have loved to get you in on that Minneapolis project, but that was just too late. But he said, in Chicago, we've got this big warehouse, and we really want to save money and become more efficient. How soon can you come in with your consultant? walk through and give us a proposal to uh develop
1: a program to improve that operation so that meeting will take place next week the phone call the four-month phone call, took place last week
2: and that's the result of number one what do you do and have a clear concise ex- explanation of it uh, why are you different well you follow up and you're concerned about me so that covers the why are you different and the follow-up chapter in the book so reading my own book and applying my own lessons to myself, I think we got some business out of it.
0: So wow. Congratulations. So thank you. Just one last question to elaborate on that. I'm, I'm curious why you think so many people don't stay in touch. I mean, Ron, I will say from a personal standpoint, I, I you are exceptional at it, but I'm curious why it's so difficult for many of us. Why Why do you think that is?
2: I think Mark's got some thoughts on it, but my thought is, is that it's hard work. And I think we, we almost used that quote in the follow-up paragraph, if I'm not mistaken. And it was a Thomas Edison quote, most people don't like to pursue success because it comes dressed up as work in overalls. <laughs> and and to it I started out from scratch coming out of corporate America I had no network I had no group of companies that immediately employed me so I, I had to start getting on the phone and making a lot of friends and making a lot of business contacts and uh, that continues till this day so uh, you realize if you're gonna grow your business you have to work at it nothing comes uh, there are no free gifts in the world and there's no free lunch and uh, so that's why most people don't do it because it's not easy
0: Mark, any additional thoughts on that chapter before? Because I'm going to give you your chance in the limelight to talk about your favorite part of the book. But any any additional thoughts on that section?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. When it comes to follow up, and it also has to do with uh, not just follow up to stay in touch, but follow up to get referrals. I think there's two things that are critically important that a person has to realize if you're going to make that successful. One is you got to have confidence you got to have confidence in yourself, that you're able to to speak with someone, and confidence means being able to handle the rejection. So if uh, whether it's building people in your network or turning suspects into prospects, one has to realize they're going to get a lot of rejection along the the road. But just keeping after it, that rejection will start to turn into yeses, and you you will start to build your, your base from that. So confidence is one of those things. But I've also found that to build that confidence, which what one needs to do is to build a process. So if you have a follow-up process or a referral process, I highly recommend putting that process in a flow diagram, actually spell out exactly what you do to, to stay on top of it. So for example, uh, if we're trying to turn suspects into prospects into clients, you identify the suspects up front, uh, and say, how many contacts a year am I going to make with this suspect? That's in writing. Uh, what am I gonna say during each one of those contacts? And based upon those contacts, if I get a yes to proceed or a no, call me in six months or take me off your mailing list, what's the next step from that? And that should be right in writing and, and so forth. So you follow each one of those steps to its conclusion where it's going with that. So the more you put into that and you follow that written flowcharted process, the more you're gonna get out of it. So Confidence and process, to me, are what really makes that, that chapter work very, very well.
0: Wow. Great advice. Great advice. All right. So, Mark, it's your turn. Talk about your favorite piece of advice in the book and why.
1: Well, probably my bias, which is planning. I really enjoy planning, strategic planning, operational planning, tactical planning. Uh, I, I really enjoy all that. And uh, I get good help companies achieve a lot of results from that. So that's the part I like the most. That's the part that often seems pretty simple. But here too, let me give you an example of why I think planning is so important and how to go about it. Not too long ago, I referred to a medium-sized company to talk about planning. And I went in to talk with the president. We had a nice introductory meeting and about halfway through the meeting, he stopped me and said, well, Mark, let me show you something. And he turned around to his credenza and he pulled out three strategic plans, one, one for each of the last three years. And I said, here's our plans and we're not having much success with this. Well, I said, well, that's that's not a plan. He said, what do you mean? I said, that's a document. That's just a document. I said, "A plan involves a whole lot more than putting something in a three ring binder. I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to assume that any one of those plans has all the pieces that you need to make it work. Can we start backwards? Can we talk about how you're going to use that plan? What kind of process are you going to put in place to engage other people in the organization, to make sure you have follow-up, to make sure that you're on target, you're measuring results, and you have a process in place to take care of slippage when it occurs, because it will occur. Uh, and how do you make sure that everyone's doing what they're supposed to do? I said, so can we start with that, then you can pick any one of those planning processes you want and we'll put that, that into action. And he said, no, wait a minute. You're gonna tell me that you'll take someone else's process or, or plan that was written a year ago and with your process, put that into action. I said, sure, why don't we do that? And I want him over just by saying that. I wasn't interested in just coming up with a document for him. I was interested in putting something together that he could work with to get other people engaged and make the whole planning process work. So that is my favorite um, chapter.
0: Yeah. Why do you think that that's so hard for so many people? Cuz boy if if we had a, a nickel for every export plan, business plan, strategic plan, HR plan, whatever that sits on a shelf or in somebody's file cabinet somewhere, we'd be rich. Why is that, do you think?
1: Well, oh, I have I have a A definite point of view on that, Doris. Uh, A matter of fact, it's, it's, it's woven throughout the book. I've said it several times throughout the book, that to make a process work, you have to have three key ingredients. You have to have focus, discipline, and momentum. So focus is picking the right thing to work on. The discipline is to make sure that you have it spelled out properly, that you're committing to your plan. You've got certain time objectives involved, people objectives. And then you're making sure you're taking things one at a time, of momentum. And if you can apply those three principles to basically any one of these chapters in this book, I think you can make them all work, and particularly planning.
0: Okay, Ron, any additional thoughts from your end? You've been listening quietly.
2: I was looking at the planning chapter while Mark was talking, and a lot of that is written in the chapter. I like the little quote that's underneath the planning chapter. It says, a goal without a plan is just a wish. And a lot of those documents are annual wishes that are updated and filed as opposed to being based on goals and uh, tactical plans to put that goal in place, to achieve that goal. So Mark's the planning guy. I don't want to stretch the point too much, but without his planning up front, we might still be sitting in his office looking at (laughs) whiteboards and uh, clip charts and saying, which one of these hundred you know, should we keep? And uh, should we make it 100 chapters long or 300 pages long? as opposed to ginning that down and creating a plan that we were able to start working on. And we were both not afraid of work, yeah. we were very task-oriented, we are very time-oriented. So once we had the plan, the implementation was made the second nature to both of us, I think. Yeah. So, absolutely.
0: My favorite chapter was about asking for referrals. And I know personally, it's something I, I'm just terrible at. I'm curious to get your perspective from both of you, really, about why people like me have so much trouble successfully asking for referrals and what advice you might give about that. Mark, you want to start?
1: Sure. I'll allude to something I said previously. That it, takes a, uh, it takes a process to do that. Referral mining takes time. It takes time and effort. Most people think it's just a simple conversation, but indeed it is not. You have to have your thoughts well planned out. You have to know what you want to ask, how to ask it, when to ask, and so forth. So that takes a lot of preparation. And I do think when people sit down and think about that, now how do I prepare for this call or this letter, they can put those things in order. But if you don't do that ahead of time, you're kind of uh, uh, steering without a rudder, if you will, or, or sailing without a rudder. Have a plan shooting
0: from the hip, right?
1: Yeah, shooting from the hip. And I don't think that works very well with uh, with getting referrals. The other thing is you have to ask. Uh, people just don't feel comfortable about asking. So you have a process, but you've got to put the process in place. Uh, so you have to ask. And I guess that goes back to the confidence issue is don't be afraid to ask. Uh, in my experience, I've never had a negative reaction to asking for a referral. Not that I get them all the time. Someone said, well, you know, I, no, I don't have a referral for you right now. Okay. I wasn't expecting to get one from everyone. But I think most people think it's pretty common to be asked for a referral. So there's nothing to be afraid about that.
0: And anything to add to that?
1: Well, yeah, I'm, I don't do a good job
2: getting referrals as well. And I've been doing this for a long time, but that's my greatest weakness. And I even toyed with the fact of incorporating in my every three month or every four month follow-up, By the way, do you have any referrals for me? But I I rejected that because that's a personal relationship call. It's not a referral call. The the referral is a separate communication, whether it be phone calls, meeting, emails, whatever. And as Mark says, having a process for it really uh helps. We could look at the industries that we serve most frequently and talk to some of our clients or prospects and you know, do that as a separate communication. The process that we say, hey, we're just, you know, just thought we'd give you a call. Uh, just wonder if you have any referrals in the, uh, you know, steel service center. So I, I'm, I'm writing notes here. I'm learning from this, this session. And uh, I'm thinking of doing that, maybe a separate campaign, if you will, based on a process. And it gets back to what Mark said before in terms of the follow-up. You have to be comfortable, but that's a form of confidence. You have to be confident that you, you know, if you do get rejected, it's not going to destroy you for that afternoon or that week or that month but you have to be comfortable with asking but I should be because we have good relationships with all people in our network and all people who are prospects or clients but I have to come up with a separate process so I've noted that
1: and I will take that away from this meeting. Another thing I've done over the years is I try to find referrals for others so if there's a a client I've worked with in the past I, I know what their their specialty is I try to refer someone to them and I have gotta say that really comes back in space if, if you can find someone a prospect that person doesn't forget that so going back six months later after you've given someone a, a lead or, or a prospect I think they're kind of expecting for you to ask them for a referral I think that works very well that's an excellent point
0: yeah Great advice. Well, as I suggested before we started our chat that the hour was going to fly by and indeed it has. And we are really almost out of time. But before we wrap up, I would love to have you share with the listeners how to get in touch with you if they're interested in learning more about your business or about the process of writing a book or just talking about what's in the book itself, and as well how people can find a copy of your book if they're interested in getting that.
2: Probably going to our website, which is www.bus-eng.com. And that would be the starting point for somebody, and you can contact us through there. We get a lot of articles published, and there is a bibliography of those articles that you can access and uh, download for free that might be of value to find out more about what we do uh, obviously give the office a call in this day and age you know the office is uh, my own office since we're all working remotely everybody in our group is using the uh, phone number 847-824-0809 or uh, again communicating through the website or communicating through that phone number is the best way to, to get me
0: Mark, how should people reach you if they're interested in learning more about your business or just shooting the breeze with you?
1: Well, first of all, I love shooting the breeze. So uh, don't don't hesitate if anybody wants to call. Uh, my office phone number is 708-354-4673. And I do like to chat with anybody about anything. I really enjoy that. However, the, the name of the company is Sigma Resource Group. And if you were to um, Put in uh, www.sigmanow, S-I-G-M-A-N-O-W.com to go to my website and learn more about what I do and how I do it and how to contact me. And the third way Great. On, uh, is on LinkedIn. Doris, the name is a little unusual, Akerley, so hope people <laughs> remember that one. But just uh, Google Mark Akerley, A-K-E-R-L-E-Y, on LinkedIn and... Uh, I've made quite a few posts on there, a couple of extra articles I've written there, a couple of short snippets and so forth. Uh, and if you'd like to network with me, or what do we call it on LinkedIn? Connects, if you'd like to connect yeah. with me on LinkedIn, <laughs> yeah. or a link with me on LinkedIn, I'd be happy to do that right. as well. But, right, right. Uh, it's for, not, not <laughs> Yeah, something to think about when you Amazon, and we've had people
2: uh, do this, put our names and the food for thought in, yeah. in your Google search because food for thought uh, can take you into two other paths without the author's names and uh, either religious and faith-based articles or recipe books. Uh, so use food for thought, but wager to <laughs> so you get to the right food for thought. Some good recipe books though, I've seen them, they're not bad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, you have a recipe book. You have a recipe for how to make a successful business. And by the way, just for anybody who's interested, Ron didn't spell his last name, but it's W-A-J-E-R. Well, that's our show for this week. Mark and Ron, thank you both so much for being with us this week. Really appreciate all the insights and your time. Thank you, Doris. I
1: really enjoyed it. Thanks for having us.
0: Folks, thanks so much for listening, and thanks especially again to our guests today, Ron Major, President of Business Engineering, and Mark Akerley, President of the Sigma Resource Group. And they are, as we talked about this week, co-authors of the book, Food for Thought, Lessons at Lunchtime for Business Owners. Definitely a worthwhile read and worth every penny of 6 or $7, whatever it is on Amazon these days. Now, you can find more helpful resources and information on my website, globalocityservices.com, where there's a library of blogs and tools, podcasts, and other useful resources for small businesses. Now, be sure to join me next Saturday. I'll have another great guest. But, folks, until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneur.